If you want to make an audiobook, go to thetalkingbook.org. That's thetalkingbook.org. Check out these amazing writers, narrators, indie publishers. Come to Asheville. We record books in a booth. Here's the show. Hey friends, Chris Hartram here of The Talking Book. That's thetalkingbook.org. Um, independent audiobook publisher, recording studio. Thanks so much for listening. It is here and only here that you will find the hottest new readings from the hottest of the hot authors. Today I have a reading from uh, a badass named Mallory Smart. Her book is called The Only Living Girl in Chicago. The reading is really cool, like for real, and uh, I'm excited for you to hear it. But um, before we do that, what's what's new with the Talking Book fam? Um, I don't think I made any headway with the superintendent. If you remember the last show, you'll remember I'm in a timeless battle between good and evil uh, with the Asheville school system to get Max, my six-year-old, into the elementary school across the street from us so I don't have to drive him to the other side of town. And, you know, I'm currently in the third appeal, and I think that their defenses are starting to crack. Probably not. And, you know, I'm sure they don't give a shit uh, about my little problem, my little tragedy, because the world's falling apart. School systems are insane. Uh, you got the anti-maskers, the anti-vaxxers, uh, and then you got my annoying ass, like, writing all these appeals so I can just walk them across the street. But, you know, who knows? Who knows if he'll even go back to school with this insanity? Maybe he's going to be homeschooled. Um, you know, the, the superintendent is probably sitting at home, listening to this episode, laughing it up as we speak. Superintendent, if you're listening to this, I hope you're happy. I hope you're laughing it up. Um, what else is new? What's new with Dave, the audio engineer? You never really hear from Dave. He's in the studio all the time recording books with authors um, or editing audiobooks or editing this podcast. He's the lifeblood. Um, he's like the workhorse. Maybe I'll, I'm, I'm going to start having... Uh, having a conversation with Dave before the these readings maybe sometimes about audiobooks or recording books, um, readings. I don't know. Is that boring or would that be fun? Is that a good idea? I don't know. Write in. Write in to Chris at the Talking Book. Uh, no, write in. Write in to uh, Chris at TalkingBook.pub if you think that's a good idea or a bad idea. No one's going to write in. But um, anyway, yeah, everyone loves Dave, especially the authors that record in the studio with Dave. Uh, he's a big sweet pea. Fuck you, Dave. I'm just kidding. Love you, Dave. And uh, enough of that. Uh, like I said, today's reading is from Mallory Smart. She is a Chicago-based writer and is the editor-in-chief of the publishing house Modeling House, which I love Modeling House. Big fan of those guys, the work they do. Uh, she also talks about... Um, music and literature on the podcast, Textual Healing, if you've never heard that, check out Textual Healing. Um, yeah, and I like I like Mallory a lot from what I know, the exchanges we've had. Um, I think you'll like her too after you hear this reading. Um, I want the book, and you should go get the book now too. You can pre-order, it comes out August 24th. Uh, you can pre-order The Only Living Girl in Chicago at tridentcafe.com. And I'll leave the direct link in the show notes. But here's the synopsis of The Only Living Girl in Chicago. Zoe Clark is back in Chicago, and she already wants to run, but she can never turn her back on her monstrous hometown again. Grief, technology, isolation, and emptiness keep her up at night. Or maybe it's the coffee. 
Her brain feels like a mosquito trapped in amber, ready to be found in 65 million years by an enterprising paleontologist. Full of anxiety, humor, philosophy, and grief, the only living girl in Chicago is a stunning coming-of-age novel, a later bloomer's Bible in constant dizzying motion. Doesn't that sound good? So without further ado, here now is Mallory Smart reading from The Only Living Girl in Chicago. Subject on where we land on the tertiary extinction timeline, paleontologists will use us to resurrect prehistoric predators. She stayed inside for three whole days while watching kaiju films and ordering from DoorDash. Occasionally, she went to her balcony and drank a beer. One of her roommates just moved out, and she was both happy and sad about this. She'd have to take on more of the rent, but she'd also have a room free to potentially use in an office for the writing she wasn't doing. Life be like that sometimes. When the roommate moved out, Zoe was pretty damn sure some of her books went missing, but decided to just shrug it off. This was why she hated living with other people. Tyler lived alone, and this sometimes made her jealous but she also knew that this made him really lonely. So lonely that now he has made it a weekly thing to drive all the way to her apartment just to hang out with her, even if it was just for a quick hour. On this day, he decided to come over to drink on her balcony with her and talk all about the films. They drank Angry Orchard as the sky changed from orange to a sort of black. It was the city, and a carnival was happening across the street. So no real darkness happened just colors that could be described as either warm or cold. Zoe bitched to Tyler about the old roommate. She felt a bite and realized it was mosquito season. She drank and thought about how much she was going to itch later, and then how long mosquitoes had existed on this planet. A sudden mass extinction event occurred about 66 million years ago, killing everything from dinosaurs to plankton. Three-quarters of the world's animal life wiped out in an instant. A flash of an asteroid came with abrupt change. Something called impact winter ensued, and then from those ashes came. Yet even then, mosquitoes thrived. They decided to go inside and watch Jurassic Park because it was just so on point with her thinking. Also, Tyler seemed to want to do whatever Zoe wanted to do. Scientists discovered an ancient mosquito encased in amber and cloned dinosaurs. This being late capitalism, the only thing that they could think to do with such a discovery was to make an amusement park. The possibilities. What could have been? Could it happen? Really, imagine an ancient mosquito enclosed by amber being discovered beneath 12 feet of permafrost. Scientists would, of course, use it to resurrect dinosaurs using advanced techniques in cybernetics. But instead of frog DNA... Neuroscientists could give the dinosaurs superhuman intelligence. These prehistoric predators would seek out human life and demolish it in frightening and previously unconsidered ways. During a time period of intense trepidation, fear would project positive emotions onto people's faces. Their faces would reflect the positive emotions so intensely that it would discharge gigantic ion beams toward the moon and destroy the moon. Perhaps someone would drift up emotionally in the sky like a cliché metaphor about a child's balloon. Where the moon once was would be a giant void that resembled a fish tank from far away. Zoe imagined floating in this void, 
like an iridescent goldfish. Her face would be distorted by the convex surface of the void, and she would feel depressed about not being able to project the positive emotions that everyone else was. She would feel better about not being destroyed by prehistoric predators as the lingering earthbound humans were hunted down and thoroughly annihilated. She would live in the cold void until the day she would swim toward the sun with her skin melting until she resembled an abstract painting. She immediately picked up her phone to write all these thoughts down, but when she began, Tyler paused the film and asked, Is everything okay? He did this every time she picked up the phone, like this time was set aside for him and only him. There was a part of him, she could tell, that felt that he won when she moved back to the city. But their friendship had nothing to do with it, and she would never be able to break that to him. Their bond was fading, and she was resenting these hangouts more and more, him watching her watch the movies they picked out, studying her every reaction in a frightening and previously unconsidered way. When they lived states apart, he couldn't do this, and while talking, she could mentally check out. But now he was here and she was too. She imagined again floating in the void and wishing that perhaps she could volunteer her DNA to create these superhuman dinosaurs. The ancient mosquitoes encased by amber had to exist somewhere, and somehow this resentment had to end, even if it meant the world ending with it. Maybe they will have tacos, a goal, an aspiration. Something insane had happened in Zoe's experience of temporality. Time had like tripled in speed since a week and a half ago. It was intense. It used to be painful to wait for it to pass while she was at work, and now it was just instantly over. She wondered if it was somehow linked to a change in her serotonin levels since forgetting her meds in San Francisco. She felt like her psychiatrist secretly hated her that they maybe saw her as a narcissist or sociopath or bitch or whatever, so she stopped seeing them. She came out as a poet to her friend Tyler the other night at a bar in Logan Square. Zoe couldn't remember the name because they had been to so many. This one had games in it, so she thought it was more of a barcade than a bar. He was really starting to question her sanity when she said weeks earlier that she might fly back home instead of driving that she should take weed back on the plane and call it performance art. Zoe told Tyler it was a joke, but she didn't tell him that she brought the weed back home anyways. Not by plane or by car, but by mail. Loopholes. He didn't need to know. He didn't have to judge. He just needed to enjoy that drink with her and pretend that two years apart didn't change either of them. For inquiring minds, she didn't just mail marijuana to herself. That felt like something only rookies would do. She shipped it back home to her parents' house under a fake return address. She then tucked it in a random t-shirt that she bought at a bar a year earlier but never wore and threw it in the package. She almost felt like the Unabomber for a split second. After her drink with Tyler, she decided that she would light up and then grab some tacos down the road. Logan Square was a great neighborhood to score some tacos. The weed fucked her up instead. Or maybe it was the shift in her temporality. Either way, she started to hallucinate, so immediately she went back home in an Uber. When she got back home, she threw herself in a bed and hoped it would end soon. 
During her hallucination, the fan in her bedroom started moving. The light fixtures started rotating. The entire fan became a bioorganic substance, and it morphed into a variety of faces. Sometimes it would flash, and a black and white face would overtake the entire fan. Other times it seemed that the fan was alive, and the center of the fan was a face chewing on an arm. She kept getting up from her bed and walking into the kitchen or into the bathroom to stare into the mirror. Everything else appeared normal. At first, the fan only moved around when her glasses were off. When she put them on, it looked like a normal fan. But then one time, she put her glasses on, and it was still in its surreal form, and the screws on the fan started moving all around. After a while, shadowy sigils descended from the fan and entered her chest. So it was like, I'm going to die in here, and everyone will think I just died of dehydration or something. She decided to leave, but then decided no, I'll stay, I probably shouldn't wander. Then she went back and laid down on her bed and dagger-like appendages slowly extended out from the center of the fan towards her chest. And she was like, okay, now I'm leaving. She was 30 and she should have been able to handle it herself. But for some reason, she decided to walk to her sister's house. One time when she was 17, she got too high with the dealer down the street and went to her sister's house for help. She legit only lived maybe a 10-minute walk away. Her name was Kelsey. She chilled Zoe out and the next day pretended that it never happened. To this day, Zoe didn't know if it was weed that fucked her up or something called spice. She told Kelsey that she was just having a panic attack at the time, and Kelsey just went with it. The day after, she didn't say anything about it, but Zoe knew that Kelsey understood it wasn't just a panic attack. When she got to Kelsey's that night, she let herself in and vomited into her sink. Things like the text on newspapers and magazines were moving around. Kelsey heard Zoe come in and immediately assumed, drunk, and tried to get a bit of liquid in her before sending her upstairs to go to sleep. As Zoe sat down in the bed in the dark, the sigil came out of her chest, glowing orange, and there were shadowy figures in the walls and ceiling. One of them was glowing blue and yellow. Suddenly, she felt extremely calm and immediately fell asleep. The next day, she felt completely normal and finally got tacos. Kelsey said nothing. Okay, that was Mallory Smart reading from The Only Living Girl in Chicago. Didn't that sound good? Go get the book at tridentcafe.com from Trident Books. Go get it right now. Go pre-order it. Uh, check out our new release, The One on Earth, works of Mark Balmer, narrated by Mark Johannes. We just did this with uh, Fence Books and the narrator, and it just came out, and it's really special. The late Mark Balmer, The Collective Works. Please go look at that, thetalkingbook.org. Also recently, Sleepovers by Ashley Bryant Phillips came out recently, and it's insanely beautiful, recorded with the author here in our studio in Nashville and C with Dave and myself. We're also working on Body High with John Lindsay, the new William Boyle book, Shoot the Moonlight Out, and volume two of The Diary of Adonis Nin. Uh, so there's some good shit coming out. If you want your reading to be on this podcast, go to thetalkingbook.org and hit me up. Uh, thanks so much to Mallory Smart and Trident Books. Uh, the Only Living Girl in Chicago, that's the name of the book, go get it. My name is Chris Hartram, and this is The Talking Book. Dave is here too. And uh, we record books in a booth, and I love you all. Like a bishop 
who has forsaken sympathy chasing sister squares I was lit before I The window 